Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and as always, thank you for tuning in and joining us as we continue to have these conversations on how to reimagine schools. My guest this week is Justin Wells, and Justin serves as the executive director of Envision Learning Partners in California. And what they do at Envision Learning Partners is they help school districts measure what matters by placing the focus on equity and helping districts maximize high quality performance assessments for student success. So you certainly wanna check them out at their website at envisionlearning.org for all the great resources that you're gonna hear about in this episode. This was a great conversation as Justin Wells is a true deeper learning advocate. He's also the co-author of a great book on project-based learning with Bob Lenz, who serves as the director of PBL Works. And we've had Bob Lenz on the Reimagined Schools podcast before. So you want to go back and check out that episode as well. As we take a deep dive this week into all things related to deeper learning, as Justin talks about how designing the graduate profile is an important element uh, for school success. But even more importantly, talks about how districts are now designing portfolio work and capstone experiences to allow students to defend their learning before moving on to the next key grade level. And this is a model that continues to build great momentum here in Kentucky with schools like Jefferson County uh, Public School System really heavily engaged in the student portfolio defense. So this is a great conversation and you're going to want to share it with your district superintendent, your building principals, and anyone in your district that leads curriculum and instruction. So let's jump into it, folks. My conversation with Justin Wells begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. I'm Christy Hemingway, host of Ed Curation, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, another great episode Coming at you today, my guest is a teacher, author, consultant, and deeper learning advocate. A big welcome to Justin Wells. How are you, Justin? Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. This is a pleasure to be here. Well, I think the best place to start for for my listeners is just kind of give a a quick overview of your background. I know you taught uh, high school, I think it's high school English, and you're doing a lot of work now on the deeper learning side of things with uh, your consulting group, Envision Learning Partners. So just kind of walk us through what you're doing and why you're passionate about those things. Sure, thank you. You know, I, I'm i not in the classroom right now, but I very much, you know, continue to identify as a teacher. I, I just love teaching and uh, love, you know, the, the, the art and science of kind of, you know, working with, with students and getting better <clears throat> at things they're, they're learning. Um, I, I think most identify as a, as a teacher of writing, uh, you know, so I was an English teacher. I taught uh, high school and middle school. Um, and I was, you know, quite blessed to kind of land as my first teaching job um, with the, in the, in the sort of founding of Envision Schools. Um, my principal was actually Bob Lenz, who, who started Envision Education, um, now leads uh, PBL Works. 
And uh, yeah, just right place at the right time. I was very, uh, you know, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, the, the, the philosophy behind project-based learning, which was a guiding principle of our schools. And I had some, I would say what I would now call some deep learning experiences I was lucky to have as a, as a young person, both in uh, you know, middle and, and high school myself. So when I was kind of thrust into that environment and that educational philosophy, um, I, it, it made a lot of sense to me. I thrived. And my journey, you know, since then over the last 20 years has been to, you know, just kind of, you know, broaden the scale of, of this kind of teaching and learning. So um, project-based learning kind of like merged into concepts around performance assessment um, and uh, had a great opportunity to uh, step out of the classroom and work with a team of performance assessment experts at Stanford University, part of Linda Darling Hammond's kind of fleet of really great think tanks. In my case, it was the Stanford Center for Assessment Learning and Equity or SCALE that I got to be at for tenure, which deepened my uh, knowledge and understanding of, of performance assessment. And, uh, and then I returned to Envision Education um, about a decade ago, um, this time with Envision Learning Partners, which just does some external uh, you know, consulting and professional development work with school districts around the country around building performance assessment systems. So um, still feel like I'm in that teaching, in that teaching mode, um, just a different kind of service. And uh, it's just been a great ride. And I feel really fortunate that I uh, kind of landed in, in this movement and, and, and can feel a part of it. And you're the co-author of the book, Transforming Schools. And you mentioned Bob Lenz. He's one of the co-authors who is the director of PBL Works, used to be the Buck Institute, and Sally Kingston. So. Uh, you really, uh, you did have a great foundation there uh, with deeper learning at that time. Kind of walk me through the process of writing that book and how taking that deep dive into how to do some of those things to transform schools made a significant impact in the path you're on now. Yeah, it was, a, you know, given that I was kind of part of the kind of founding class of, of Envision Education and, uh, and I uh, actually, before I was a teacher, I was in the. Um, I worked as a uh, uh, project and copy editor in the publishing industry in my in my twenties, which which was great kind of background and experience before I became an English teacher. Um, so anyway, I um, when when Bob and I when Bob's you know started thinking about like you know we've been at this for a decade, it'd be good to get down on paper kind of what we've been up to around our school model and, and how we're thinking about things. So again, I was just fortunate to be able to kind of team with him and with Sally to um, you know try to describe kind of what the Envision model was about, what we've been up to, and where we we you know where we're headed. Uh, along the way, around you know 2010 or so is when the the Hewlett Foundation had kind of made this you know strategic commitment to the concept of deeper learning. I, I don't think they came up with the term per se, but they were, really were a key institution behind. Um, you know, socializing that that phrase and, and all that it means. And Envision Education, along with a lot of great, you know, school orgs, High Tech High and Expeditionary Learning and the Asia Society and the New Tech Network, et cetera, were just all kind of in that family. And, and so they were part of a community of practice that that kind of kicked off the, the deeper learning movement with, with Hewlett. And a lot of what we did in those early years was really try to, to you know, better define what we mean by deeper learning. 
Um, the Deeper Learning Conference kind of was born somewhere in there. And uh, so Envision Learning Partners was, you know, part of that community practice, did some actually facilitation of some early convenings. And it was exciting just to be thinking about like, what does this concept mean? And how do we, how do we enact it more deeply in our schools? And how do we spread it? Um, so, so that's, so I think that that was actually part of the book, right, was, was to be able to like, what does deeper learning mean uh, for us at Envision Education? Um, and, uh, and how can we describe it in ways that, that make sense to folks and get them excited and energized uh, to kind of bring that into their own learning communities? And I think that's a great, great segue for us to really take a deep dive into deeper learning. Um, you know, you talk about being able to describe it in a way people understand. Deeper learning is not a new concept. It's been around no. for a very long time. Oh, it's but ancient. It's, but yeah, if, if deeper learning was a TikTok video, it would be going viral right now. Everyone's talking <laughs> about deeper learning. They just uh, discovered this great thing called deeper learning. If you think about the evolution of how educators have come to find deeper learning, I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, and you know, I... I'm a, sometimes I do feel a little ambivalent about the term. I mean, you're right. It's, it's, it's good teaching and learning is an ancient practice. Um, you know, it, it, it's somewhat, um, it somewhat announces itself without a, a lot of modesty when it's, when it's sort of even phrased as a comparative, right? It's like it, deeper, <laughs> right? Somehow different than, uh, better than, right, is kind of uh, implicit in the phrase, which, um, you know, I get, I get why we're trying to kind of change things in, in, in education, make things better for kids. So um, that, that's an honest um, uh, depiction. But at the same time, it sometimes gets wrapped up in like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're, this is like a whole new way of thinking about things. But so often when you look carefully at them, you know, you realize like, yes, these are good ideas. They've been around and we just need to be doing more, more of them and, and more, more, more systematically so that for kids, it's not a, they're not getting it in a random fashion, which I think is often what happens, but that it's, it's, it's designed and it's consistent. And over a K-12 experience, students just are regularly involved in what I would call a deeper learning experience. What do I mean by that? I think the shorthand that I use in, in the, in the book is, um, I like to think of deeper learning as learning that someone can tell a story about. Um, you know, maybe that's a bit of the English teacher in me talking, but I, but I find that like, if a student of a learner can look back on an experience and uh, kind of describe it with a bit of a narrative arc, you know, an exciting moment, there was challenge, um, uh, there were ups and downs, and there was, there was climax, there was a, a moment when um, you know, I met the challenge, climbed the mountain, something changed about me thanks to this. Um, and then, and the, and there's resolution. There's a sense of looking back pride, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, all the elements of a good story, um, is, is kind of a shorthand way that I describe, uh, what, what is deeper learning? And, and, and I think that learning experiences can be designed, um, to follow that arc. Not that you, you know, not that every student's going to experience that powerfully every time, but if it's coming at students frequently enough, I think that we're doing them a great service. And, and you know, I, I think an easy place to start whenever you talk with educators about deeper learning is 
talk about, you know, obviously uh, the name of this podcast is Reimagine Schools. So moving away from that sit and get model where students are sitting there trying to absorb things like a sponge, um, you know, obviously is no longer going to be beneficial in an ever-changing world as technology develops and as problem solving becomes a greater uh, asset in, in the real work world. So as we talk about that, obviously the, the plan is to create more learning opportunities at a deeper level. But I think a lot of teachers, I think there's a myth that you can't do that at a lower grade level. You can only do that at a high school level where kids are maybe more um, uh, equipped to do problem solving. Where do you stand on deeper learning across the entire P-12 spectrum? Well, here's where I do, I'm a big advocate for project-based learning, you know, maybe as a subset of this larger notion of, of deeper learning. I do think that project-based learning does thrust uh, teachers and learner and students into that mode of, um, here's an exciting challenge that we're about to undertake. It's gonna involve, uh, you know, uh, creation and or performance exhibition. Um, it's got multiple steps to it, right? That's that, can, that notion of project uh, uh, to play. It's, it's extending over perhaps, uh, you know, some length of time. It doesn't have to be, you know, multi-months per se, but it, it's, it's something that we associate with, some, with, with something that's maybe longer than, a, than just a simple lesson plan. And um, in some ways, like what's happening in our elementary um, schools is a great model for our secondary schools to be following, right? Like that, that sense of, of going on a learning journey together um, is, is a great way to think of, of, of project-based learning. And I just think that if we continue to kind of build muscle as, uh, you know, school districts and, a, a, you know, as a nation at large around just getting good at project-based learning and having that be an, an essential aspect of a modern education, uh, have to, you know, it's not the only thing, but it's an essential one. It's needed. Um, then I think that we're, we're moving the needle quite a bit on, on, on having deeper learning be something that feels um, uh, systematic as opposed to random. So, so certainly project-based learning, I think, is a key component. And then, you know, the, 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 the concept that my team and I think a lot about and, and do a lot of service around is around the notion of performance assessment. Um, which is intimately intertwined with concepts of project-based learning, but performance assessment, I think, is pays particular attention to kind of what are the challenges that were that, that students are undertaking that allow us to really see what learning has has taken place. Um, what is the design of those challenges, and um, and it's getting at the things that we can't really do with sort of selected response or or multiple choice styles of testing, which are you know, valid and do what they do well, but they can't get at some of those um, deeper, uh, more complex competencies that really require that you observe uh, the learner doing doing the thing <laughs> in order to see what learning's taken place. Um, you know, uh, I, I run a lot with the, the drivers, you know, the analogy to what it takes to get a driver's license uh, is, is a helpful way just to quickly define performance assessment, right? We're, we're gathering evidence, uh, around some learning. There's a question we're trying to answer. Is this license seeker ready to share the road with the rest of us? Um, and we don't just take the, you know, a perfect score on the multiple choice permit exam as sufficient evidence that someone's ready to, to do that driving. We actually have to take the time to observe the driver driving um, and wait in those DMV lines and do all that stuff. 
And that's the performance assessment part of this. And when it just kind of reminds us that we need performance assessments to help round out the picture, to, to answer the questions that we're asking. Are these young people ready to share the proverbial roads of life with the rest of us is kind of the questions that, that our K-12 systems should be asking and trying to answer. And we need performance assessment as a part of that. And, and I think project-based learning is a key pedagogy that helps prepare students for those kinds of performance assessment challenges. And I think another one of the big challenges, you talk about assessment, and I find that fascinating because um, I think schools, a lot of school districts and school leaders are really struggling with this idea of how to define student success. You know, what does that look like? How do you know if, it's, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of portrait of a graduate work right now. We're doing a lot of things with accountability frameworks. You know, John Tanner, I just had him on the podcast not too long ago talking about those kind of things. If, if school districts can't define success, if they don't know what that looks like, then how can they even begin this deeper learning process? Well, you're, and I um, really appreciated your conversation with, uh, with John. Um, and I feel similarly that, you know, that defining success is, is the first step. Um, the, the graduate profile, portrait of a learner movement that, that, that um, I know you talk a lot about on this show has been a, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a booster. I think it's a great phenomenon. Um, we do need to be careful though, that we don't just sort of like, you know, get the posters um, up on the walls and uh, we got to figure out how to follow through. That's where I feel like performance assessment and project-based learning are kind of where we, we, we sort of show don't tell what we're saying on our, on our graduate profile posters, but it's still a vital step. We do need to have a collective understanding of what our goals are, our learning outcomes. And what I like about graduate profiles is that they do kind of extend above and beyond kind of what's in the uh, various kind of standards, state standards and professional disciplinary standards that we're also accountable to. Although I would, I would add, you know, the last 20 years, we're seeing all those standards get, get updated for modern times. Um, and they're all moving towards skills, right? They're, I like to call it, they're moving from a, a collection of noun phrases to a collection of verb phrases, uh, skills that need performance assessment, you know, next gen science standards is a classic example. And we're making that transition. So, so whether we're looking at the, the, the shift in, in uh, disciplinary and content standards, or we're just following, trying to follow through on this beautiful movement around graduate profiles, both of them require that we uh, now, now do the, do the follow through. And, um, you know, something that um, in your conversation with, 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 with John that I, kind of agreed with was like, sometimes we quickly jump to the question, well, how are we going to measure it? Um, and I think that the, the question that perhaps should even precede that is how are kids going to practice these skills um, that we've announced are so important, critical thinking, collaboration, uh, citizenship, uh, et cetera, all these you know, beautiful ideas. How are we going to design learning experiences that really we can see them practicing you know, dribbling the ball through the cones. I love the, some of the coaching analogies that we often use to talk about this work. Um, where what's happening in the in the practice as 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 kids get ready for the games, and if we can answer that question crisply, like, oh yeah, here's how they're practicing, and we can point to it, 
then then the then the how are we going to measure this um, question and answer actually come pretty easy, right? Like if, if if we can see the kids practicing it, then figuring out how to observe it and measure it and have the right rubrics to kind of show growth is is not a big next step. Sometimes I see learning communities jump to the how are we going to measure this. And they come up with their rubrics and they're all about kind of, what, um, but they haven't attended to the practice yet. And so they don't actually see the kinds of changes in student growth that, that we're all expecting. And I think it's just a matter of kind of balancing out the, uh, the measurement to practice attention. And so I think to take it a step further, if you think about deeper learning and performance assessments uh, and how they intersect, how does that push a system toward greater equity in our schools? Great question. I, I do think that if this is not about trying to, um, you know, make more equitable learning communities, then, you know, what's the point? I often say that to, 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 to partners we work with who are doing this graduate profile work. If your graduate profile isn't somehow pushing, pushing the system uh, in sometimes in uncomfortable ways to really address equity challenges, um, and ways of, of, of just bringing more justice to, to the students you serve, then, you know, don't bother, right? If it's just kind of renaming, you know, uh, a slick way of renaming the status quo. Here's where I feel like, it, it, you know, the combination of, uh, of a powerful set of learning outcomes or a graduate profile married with a good performance assessment system can be such a, uh, an equity driver. That is, first of all, you're, you're, you're announcing a set of really important, valuable competencies that you think all kids in the, in the system deserve. This is not sort of like, oh, the honors kids get this and, you know, the kids that can, you know, uh, you know, that are marginalized and kind of like barely making it through. Um, we have our own set of standards there. I think that like, you know, when I see a graduate profile, I see a beautiful vision for what education can and should be. And it, it sort of demands, you know, rich learning experiences, project-based learning, et cetera. And it, and it really should be a promise. I like to think of uh, Tony Monfaletto from New Mexico, great educator, wrote a beautiful blog about, let's see these things as a promise we're making to students rather than a, just a new set of expectations, just one more list <laughs> of what we want kids to uh, attain. And uh, so if we're promising, if we're delivering on the promise of like rich critical thinking and collaborative and 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 uh, cultural consciousness and and citizenship and all these, if we're promising that to all the students in the district, not just some, um, then that's a just a, a you know out of the gates just a good sort of beginning toward the toward um, uh, following through on the equity imperative. Um, but then if you marry that with a performance assessment system, which I think should define itself by like really high quality challenges that you've designed that are not just attending to making things hard for kids, but you're also, you know, you're working hard on engaging them so that they care about these challenges and they, and, and they're engrossed in them and they want to learn and do better. And then lastly, performance assessment when it's done well becomes much more of a, what I call assessment for learning rather than assessment for sorting. I think a lot of our assessment systems just keep telling us what we already know. They're like, here's these four or five different buckets of kids um, and, and how they rank. <laughs> and, it, you know, and, and what was true last year is true again this year. And here we go. Right. And I think a performance assessment system 
which ideally, and, and my, my team has a set of principles around what it means to be high quality performance assessment. And that includes like opportunities for students to revise their work, lots of rich feedback. Um, and, and that's where you can start to feel like assessment is being used as a tool for learning rather than sorting children. And all, all of which is gonna kind of bring you closer to kind of like dealing with those, those equity challenges. And I think that's well said and, and, and a great point. Um, you know, I spent 15 years in Illinois as a school district superintendent before I moved into higher ed coming to Kentucky. And I was just sitting here as you were talking. I was, you know, I was thinking as a former superintendent, if I reach out and contact you and I want to work with you and I want you to come in my school district to help me create a deeper learning culture in my district, I'm sure you get those calls or emails or text messages or whatever the case may be. Where do you begin that conversation and what does that look like? I'm sure every situation is going to be different, but I guess my question is, what are some of the common questions you get or what do people expect you to do when you fly in uh, sure. and, sa and save the day for deeper learning? Yeah, well, um, no saving the day, but certainly like, you know, partnership that can, uh, can uh, advance things toward a vision. No, um, yeah, that's our, our primary um partner group is our school districts. Typically, they're very often places that have some sort of learner profile, graduate portrait, or some sort of vision for this kind of um, uh, modern, deeper learning um, uh, movement. And, uh, and they're, in, in, they're engaged in the good work of following through on that, delivering on the promise. And so people tend to knock on our door. Um, you know, our website's a perfect place to go um, you know, see what we're about and, 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 and uh, reach out to us, um, envisionlearningpartners.com.org, I'm sorry. And, um, and then, you know, so we talk about like, what's a, what is a, a, an accomplishable goal within the, within the coming school year that would show that we've been building some performance assessment system muscle. Um, a particular specialty of my team, we're really about like, what student learning experiences can we see shift? within a given time frame that we're working with folks. That's how I like to measure our, our success. We're gonna see students do X by such and such month uh, in ways that are sort of new or, or, or advanced on what we're currently doing. And that's gonna be, it's gonna be a show don't tell moment for us where we're, we're seeing our grad profile in action. Um, so, you know, we work with people on designing, uh, you know, better performance assessments within given departments or working on a, a capstone experience and I think we're best known for our work with um, portfolio defense. That's an Envision specialty where uh, students kind of curate their work into a portfolio and then do some sort of public defense of learning um, around why they're ready to move on to the next stage. Maybe that's moving from eighth grade into, into high school or from high school uh, you know, um, into the world beyond, et cetera. Very powerful when you can use a graduate profile as the organizing principle of what the student is, is a curating evidence of work around. And it really showcases the student work and allows students a chance to reflect on how they've grown. And uh, it's a great way to show don't tell a graduate profile because the students are the ones that are standing up. The adults are sitting in a panel, listening intently, respecting that student's uh, multiple years of learning. And that's a, you know, something we've done at Envision schools for almost 20 years now, and oftentimes, something that we can help uh, school districts kind of uh, start to pilot that and, and build that into their systems.
And, and so we have some districts doing that here in Kentucky as well. And yeah, I know. I mean, we're big. We, we, we do quite a bit of great work with some really inspiring districts in Kentucky that are doing this kind of stuff. And, and you know, we, we all know that grades aren't a true reflection of learning. So as you think about the evidence of learning, this portfolio uh, system, you know, standing up, presenting what you've learned, how to apply it. You know, we have a district here in, in Louisville that does a, a backpack of skills. Where yeah, we were we, we helped um, Jefferson County Public Schools on its system. It was an honor for us to be involved in that in the great work there. And why do you think that type of system is so powerful for kids? Well, it's uh, it's learning you can tell a story about. <laughs> to, you know, like people who young people who are involved in that kind of an experience don't forget it, and. Uh, and, you know, that's not the, you know, the true measure per se, but it's a, it's a darn good one of, of, of a sense that like, wow, this, this was a moment, you know, it, it also sort of, I mean, human beings um, are very powerful emotional experiences with things that feel like a rite of passage. I mean, it leverages a whole bunch of different aspects of, of human development and psychology that I think are powerful. Um, and, and plus, and, and on the same time to kind of demystify it a little bit, it's an assignment, right? We don't have to, <laughs> it's, let's not make it this big other thing. It's just a very powerful assignment that when you juxtapose it with other things that kids could be doing with that time, has a lot of bang for the buck. Kids talk, will talk about it for the rest of their lives. Um, there is definitely some, you know, like the whole idea of, of getting up and doing something publicly, right? There is some of that, the nerves associated with getting ready for that and stuff. So it leverages some of that as well. Although when it's done right, the sort of very warm feedback associated, you get a chance to revive aspect can, can make it, make it sort of good nerves as opposed to something that feels traumatic. And, but I, but ultimately it's a powerful moment of reflection. And because students are, are, are basically processing and synthesizing aspects of, of the recent past, their learning into a moment and communicating that to others, that is how, that is how human beings, I believe, um, process experience is through this concept of storytelling. And when you see a powerful defense of learning, you're basically seeing a student involved in telling the story of their learning and, uh, and I think that's why it becomes so memorable. So, um, so yeah, if you wanna talk about what, what makes the learning experience deep, I can't think of a better you know, way to describe it than that. And you know, here in Kentucky, uh, uh, our Kentucky Department of Education is gonna release quite a bit of money for uh, what we're calling deeper learning grants, which is gonna be a three-year process and there are three phases. The first phase is what we're calling the learning phase. We're going to learn as much as we can about deeper learning and what that looks like. The second phase is a pilot phase. We're just going to bring something in and try it, which I yeah. think is, is a wonderful idea. Love and it. then the, the third part of that in year three is you're going to take that pilot and scale it out either school-wide or district-wide. So pretty solid plan in place. But for any teacher that would have that opportunity to pilot something, in your mind, I guess what advice could you give teachers? What should they be looking for or what should they be looking at? To generate some ideas as to what they can do in their classroom. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I think at the, on the on the on the teacher level, I I think I like to think about. Um, I, I think for teachers in climbing into this work, 
think think about like th those those longer time sequences than 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 the than the quote unquote lesson plan. It's obviously really important to have a you know good strong lesson plans, but I think thinking about the units, thinking or even better, thinking about the overall syllabus, the overall year long journey, is is where I think some of our best thinking about how to kind of bring more deeper learning into our classrooms can occur. Um, I don't think learning occurs in a linear fashion. <laughs> um, it's certainly not in a day-to-day -day fashion. It has it has these sort of spurts. It has these plateaus. Um, that's all natural part of processes of, of 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 how we get better at things we care about. And therefore, thinking about the the unit in the longer year um, is an important place for teachers to be putting their creativity into. Um, I, I learn a lot by looking at it at a teacher syllabus and what it communicates about the overall journey i mean think a little bit i mean college professors do this beautifully right they they're, they're kind of they kind of have to kind of describe what the overall course and how it unfolds on day one and people look at that pretty attentively i think that's actually a great model for us in the k-12 level to be, to be thinking you know rather than what are we going to be doing tomorrow and kind of like moving through 180 days uh, and seeing where we get <laughs> really thinking about like what's the nine-month journey and yeah, there's plenty of traditional learning that needs to occur. I, you know, I, I um, was an English teacher that did some many traditional things and getting students kind of well-versed in grammar and we would have quizzes now and then and occasionally there's lectures. But I also made sure that there was these larger challenges, these larger exciting, you know, call them projects or a deep learning experience where kids had an opportunity to put skills together into something that was kind of climbing a mountain and had that chance to kind of have that memorable moment and that that was like really what the course was about the getting kids ready for those kinds of moments and that the little things kind of added up to the big things etc um so i i just think that you know you know mctai and wiggins's work and understanding by design has much to teach us about this this kind of approach um and then of course project-based learning i think if students have one or two meaningful projects per year that's a great a learning community could feel great about that as 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 uh, as a goal, um, and teachers being involved in like that at least once a year, perhaps collaborating with others, is um, I think all evidence that 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 deeper learning is happening in your learning community. Well, that's great advice. So I'm going to go back and listen to that again because I know I'm going to use some of that the next time a teacher asks me. You know, what are some ideas for deeper learning in my classroom? So very well said. Where yeah. can we where and, 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 and one more? I also just let's not let's let's measure our progress by the quality of student work. I mean, I think that's just a really important aspect of this that I think some dish, uh, we just can't um, stop talking about. And that is, you know, I, I'm a writing teacher. Right. I mean, ultimately, the, the quality of my work should be measured by the quality of the student writing that's emerging from, from the course and or, or the improvement that students are making in their writing in the, in the time in that course. And um, so think about designing learning challenges where you know, students are really gonna be able to like polish and get some of their best writing work uh, to emerge. And that's the measure. Um, you know, I, I find so much attention paid to, you know, sometimes from school leaders, you know, we're going to walk through the halls and kind of, you know, check in on how things feel in different classrooms. And, you know, that's all important and part of the story. But 
I just feel like more learning communities need to measure themselves by kind of what kind of student work is emerging. And let's look at the student work directly. And, and sometimes we don't even need like all the fleet of rubrics to help us know that like, wow, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> or you know what, this is underwhelming. We can do better. So, um, so anyway, I just, let's not lose that common sense approach to thinking about what we do. The student work tells us so much um, and, and it's always there. Well, it's been a great pleasure to talk with you. I feel like I've learned so much. So thanks for your time and have a great summer there in California. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure to, to, uh, to chat with you, Greg, and uh, love, love your podcast and, and what you're doing. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Once again, a big thank you goes out to Justin Wells for joining me for a great conversation on deeper learning. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter. He's at Jusso Wells at J-U-S-O Wells on Twitter. And be sure to check out the website again at envisionlearning.org. As always, be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and leave a positive comment to help even more educators find this podcast. So with that, folks, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep fighting for change in your school.